As I said earlier, we're going to open uh, our Bibles, please, to Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to read from verses 10 to 20. I decided not to finish it tonight. Uh, I decided to have a bit of a challenge and try and preach from the benediction at the end from verses 21 to 23 next time. Um, So tonight we're going to be in verses 10 to 20. And the passage reads, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To God, to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to us. I find dogs quite fascinating. If you're on Instagram and you follow my wife, you'll know that we like our dog quite a lot and take a lot of photos of a dog. But I think it's quite interesting because you buy dogs nice things. So we have kind of some, she's a big dog, so we have some expensive toys that are meant to be durable because you buy cheap ones and they just disintegrate within a couple of days because she mows them apart. So we buy all these expensive toys that, not lots of them, but we give her them and she's just got no interest. No interest whatsoever. Proper big durable things that hopefully she'll get her teeth stuck into and there'll be no issues. But she loves a little broken tennis ball that's in half, just slightly held together with a little bit of material. In the same way you buy treats for your dog, don't you? We thought, oh, we're going to be good and we're going to feed her good quality things because that's what we're told to do. So she's got sausages and all these other sort of things. But her favourite thing seems to be raw sweet potato. Of everything in the world that a dog could love, eh, that is a dog's favourite thing. And sometimes you just sit and look at a dog and you think, what would it be like to be that content? Just to sleep, to eat, to walk, to go to the toilet and just be content all the time, because dogs always seem to be content. Tonight, our theme is contentment. Paul is one of the, if not the best example we have after Christ, of a man that is focused on contentment, of a man that is content no matter what goes on round about him. I think what we find in this passage within contentment is something that is displayed by both Paul and also the church in Philippi. We see that they're content and we'll explore a little bit the two things within that contentment. The fact because they are content they are also generous and because they are content they are also humble. We see through the life of Paul one man that is content despite his strife. 
We see a church here that is ready to give generously above and beyond the one church at some point that is the church that stuck by him even though there was no need for them to do so. But they stuck with him and supported the Lord's work with him. And we see in both the church and in Paul this great humility that comes with this. So let's, we'll fire in and we'll break down this passage. But the first thing I want to look at is this idea of contentment being a mark of a true believer. Just to read again verses 10 to 13. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed you were concerned but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I also know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul was a man that didn't have to be pampered to be content. He found his contentment in Jesus Christ, especially within those lowest moments of his life. There was no concept of a false peace that came from somewhere. There wasn't an ignorance of his circumstances. He knew fine well what was happening to him. He knew when he was in prison fine well what likely uh, was going to follow for him. So he wasn't peaceful out of ignorance of his circumstances. He didn't just ignore the problems, but actually he embraced them all. And in all of those, he found contentment. God provides. Paul gives thanks to God. He gives thanks to God for his divine providence, for his provision in these opening sentences. We see that God used the Philippians to provide for the needs of Paul. Just like today, the Lord uses his church to bless so many. That's part of being the body, being a generous body that is able to support, being part of a body that is able to bless and to give. And God uses the church, uses us, as he used those in Philippi to bless others. So we read in verse 11, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I think the first interesting observation here is Paul learned it. He learned through God's word and he also learned through his lived experience of what this meant. Contentment isn't something that naturally comes over us. It isn't something that on the day of salvation all of a sudden we become a content people that are content with Jesus. But actually, as we go through the difficulties of life, if we face difficult circumstances and difficult situations within that, as the Lord is refining us, we find something more of our contentment in Christ. There's something in the word um, to be content that means to be contained, to be self-sufficient, to be all in. And we know that, of course, we can't depend on our outside circumstances for our contentment, but also we can't depend on ourselves for our contentment because there we won't find it. But where we find our contentment is in the indwelling of our Lord Jesus Christ and his spirit within each and every one of us. Because Christ lives with us, we are adequate to meet the demands that this life has for us. Do you know, as we sit here, there will be many of us, the majority of us, do not know what it is to go hungry. We don't know what it is to face horrific illness, to be imprisoned. Some of us will. Some of us will know what these things are like. Some of us might even be there right now. But it doesn't matter where we've been. It doesn't matter what we've been through. We can all find contentment in Jesus Christ. 
Do you know, if we seek our contentment anywhere else, in our spouses, and our children, in our work, in our hobbies, in anything else in this world, it will all return redundant. None of it will work. None of us will give us the satisfaction and the contentment that we find in Jesus. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. Twice in these verses, Paul uses the words, I know and learn. Paul knows that contentment is something that we have to grow in. It is something that we have to learn. How can you know what it is to be hungry? How can you know what it is to suffer in need? How can you know what it is to get by with nothing? Or vice versa, how can you live? How can you know what it is to live in prosperity? To constantly be filled, to have a lot. How can you know what that is if you have never experienced it? Yes, we can sympathise. Yes, we should sympathise. Yes, we should seek to gain an understanding of those round about us and those that are with us in this journey of the Christian walk. And we should get alongside those that are facing these difficulties. But we can't learn from things that aren't our own experience. I find it very interesting as we look to something of the, the theological world, the, the world and the, the study of the scriptures. We see so much of this idea that we have Western theology that is right, and then we have you know, the minority theology somewhere at the side, that somehow, because African theology is done in a context that is not as wealthy, because they are not done by theologians on six-figure salaries, that somehow they are of something of less value. And I think we lose so much of the richness in here that I think there's something so important that as we seek to understand the scriptures that we do so in a way that we view through everybody's perspective, that we see what it is to understand. I think there's such richness in understanding the contentment of Christ and the struggle that that is if you are suffering, but also how arguably, no, actually more difficult it is to find contentment in Christ if we have everything that we need at our disposal. I think it's interesting that Paul was no more authoritative when he was doing okay, when he was well fed, or when he was in prison. He had the same level of authority throughout. I wonder what that would look like in our church, in the church in this country, to give more of a voice of authority to believers that maybe we don't. Just a thought. What is the secret of contentment? We find it in that also famous verse. 13, one of the most quoted in all the scriptures, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But it's also important we understand it properly. Obviously, we know we can't throw ourselves off buildings and fly like Superman because Christ will give me strength and we'll do it. We know that I can't do the washing up at the click of the fingers because Christ gave me the strength to do it. Of course we can't. But a couple more translations of these verses. J.B. Phillips translated it, I am ready for anything through the strength of the one who lives within me. The Living Bible translates it, I can do everything God asks me to with the help of Christ who gives me strength and power. But what's great about this is no matter what translation you prefer, they all say exactly the same thing. We as Christians have the power within us to meet the demands of this life. Not because of us, not because of who we are, but because of Christ Jesus. We can't isolate these words from their contexts. Paul's not saying that he can do anything that he sets his mind to. 
the all things that he refers to in this passage, coping with need or plenty, it all needs to be done through him, through our God. It could read that it is through him or with him or in him. I can do all things in him or through him or with him because he gives me strength. There are such incredible words of encouragement there. There are such amazing words that say it is possible with the grace of God to face even the most difficult things on this planet. It says no matter the hardship, the pressure, the difficulty, Christ is enough to take that pain. Christ is enough to stand and bear that burden with us. And as we read this of Paul, we know that this is a man that speaks from experience. These are words of a man that knows what it is to be content. We sometimes wonder, why is it so difficult to reach people for Jesus? In our country, how hard is it? We hear of things going on throughout the world. I was listening to a great missionary speaker who spoke of, I think it was Algeria, somewhere where there was dozens of believers. And then all of a sudden, fast forward however many decades further, and there's hundreds of thousands of them. You're like, how magic would that be to see that in Scotland? For us just to multiply and multiply, but it doesn't seem to happen. We hear of the great revivals and the things happening in China and the multitude of those that are putting their faith in Jesus despite the persecution that they face. And we say, we want something of that. But why is it so hard? Because we live in a country that thinks it knows contentment. Because we live in a country that says, I've got other stuff I need. What do I need saving from? Why do I need a saviour? I am content. I have all things at my disposal. Because you see, if there is no peace, if there is no hope, if there is no joy, if there is no food, if there is no shelter, then when a God comes along and said, in me you can find contentment in all these things, you go, that's what I need. I understand there is something in there that I want. You see your need and you see something that addresses that need. You see how hard your life is. And you see the opportunity to be saved from those circumstances. That's why the church is booming in so much of the poorer world. Because there is such an attraction of the gospel. There is such a, a seeing of the need that we have. Yes, of course, God is sovereign in salvation. And the Lord is at work massively in so many parts of our world. But I think there's something in this as to why Jesus spent more time with the poor than the rich. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. What does that mean? It means that if you think you have everything, it means that if you have all the contentment in the world, if you have everything at your disposal, why would you need a God? Why would you need saved from this? I think it would be an interesting study. I was kind of tempted to do this this week, but just to walk into the street... And just ask somebody, where do you find your contentment? Where do you find your purpose? Where do you find your joy? What would the answers be? Predominantly, I would imagine my family, my hobbies, the things we enjoy doing, my job, my house, if you've got a great car, maybe in the car as well. But we live in a culture that is so self-obsessed. There is just no need for God. There is no need for a saviour because I don't need saved. Because I've got it all nailed. Because I know what I'm doing. And the challenge that comes with that, and the challenge that comes to us, as believers in an affluent country, 
What comes to us is to make sure that we never become those people. Is to make sure that we always put our contentment in Christ before our contentment in stuff. When was the last time you really needed to trust God for something? When was the last time you were so unsure of what was coming next that unnerved you to the very core? For some of us, it may be very recently. For some of us, we may be there right now. But it's in those moments that we find our contentment in Christ. I just briefly want to look at something of their generosity. Yes, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia and at one church, eh, shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gift. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. You shared in my troubles. You looked after me. You came to my need. You sent me what I needed when I needed it. The Philippians were a generous church. They were a church that saw need and they went and they addressed it. They shared in his trouble. Why? Because they cared. Why? Because they were content believers. Because they were believers who knew who they were in Christ. So they weren't tight-fisted because they didn't, because their contentment was with Jesus. Their contentment wasn't in their stuff. Therefore, they gave. They sent Epaphroditus as the messenger to make sure he was okay and to take that gift because they were genuinely concerned. You don't send one of your people somewhere unless you are genuinely concerned. But they were a people that cared and looked after him. What great people. We know there were some problems in there, but I think it would have been a great church to be a part of. They cared for the man that was struggling. And they stood up when nobody else would. And by the looks of it, they've done it for a long period of time. They've made their commitment in there. And they've said, we're going to support him. We're going to stand by this man. Since the very earliest days of the friendship, when Paul was there. I love that. They didn't just come alongside him in the short term, but in the long term, they came with him. How did they care for Paul? How did they show their generosity? Many ways, but they financially supported him. They sent him money above and beyond what Paul needs. He tells us in verse 14. But I imagine as Paul says, more than I need. It's probably still not very much knowing Paul, but to him anything that is above the very basic is more than enough. We see an incredibly modest man, so I don't imagine he, him spending this money on lavish things. But I think that's great. And I think that's a great thing for us to look at. And that's who we want to be. We want to be a generous church that is loving other people, that is caring for other people, that is saying no matter what it is, we are going to support and we are going to look after other believers. I think one of the great examples in this church is that of Messy Church. I think it's something that also speaks to the wider world, but we don't charge people to come in. We see lots of people coming through the doors, but it's one of the best conversation starters. Why are you doing this? Like, why won't you take money off me? What's, what's happening here? But we just say, no, we, just, we want to give. We want to give something to our community. We want to give something to people. And in this world where nothing is for free, yes, Messy Church isn't free, but it comes from our generosity. And something of that speaks massively into this world because it's a bit of an alien concept. That level of generosity, consistent generosity of time and of money and of the effort of so many people is something that speaks to so many. 
And I think generosity is something that is becoming more and more countercultural. And I think that's great. And I think people take note. I think people take note. And I think there are great things. The statistics behind mothers and toddlers groups and food banks and debt centres and whatever it is that are run by churches, people see these things and think, wait a minute. The amount of money we are saving people, the amount of money we are putting into things is incredible. You'll know of a man, Hudson Taylor, the man that founded the China Inland Mission. I think it's interesting, it's a bit of a side story, but uh, when he went to China, he went dressed in appropriate Chinese clothing because he thought, I'm going to get, and people are going to accept me more if I make the effort to become like them, which nowadays we accept that's something fine. Back then it was a massive no-no. So the churches called him pagan. The churches did all these things to send him away and said, we're not partnering with you. We're not giving you any money because you're going to become pagan. Except the one man to start it all. And that man was Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon said, do you know what? No, this is a man. This is a man that's got the gospel at his heart. And this is a man that wants to go right in there. This is a man that wants to meet people. I think it's great. I think it's just an illustration of how before his time Spurgeon was, but it's of no relevance to this story. But anyway, Hudson Taylor... In his book, The Spiritual Secret, uh, by Dr. Howard Taylor, it illustrates something of this uh, power that is within us in Jesus Christ. And it shows us something of this great ministry. Hudson worked hard and felt that he was trusting God to meet all his needs. But somehow in that, he found no joy. He found no liberty in his ministry. And then a letter from a friend opened his eyes to the adequacy of Christ. The letter read... It is not by trusting my own faithfulness, but by looking away to the faithful one, he said. I think that's great. This was a turning point in Hudson Taylor's life. Not to look at him and think how faithful I am to the faithful God, but instead turning away from that and putting everything onto the faithful God. Moment by moment, he drew on that power of Christ. And Christ's power carried him through. Jesus teaches us the same thing in John 15. He is the vine, we are the branches. If a vine is going to produce, sorry, if a branch is going to produce fruit, how do you do that? You need life from the vine. A branch can't bear fruit through self-effort. As hard as a branch might try, it will just die. But only by drawing on life from the vine. John 15, 5, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. You can bear no fruit. We cannot bear fruit as Christians without Jesus Christ. What does it tell us? It tells us the sufficiency of Jesus. It tells us that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough for this life. Jesus is enough for us to be a content, a generous, a humble people. I think something of this generosity that we see is something that comes from a people that are content. We're so generous when we're so content with Christ that all we do, we do to his glory. And the last thing in there, humility. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul looked at the gift that was given to him as a spiritual sacrifice that was given to God. John MacArthur says that the final strand in the tapestry of the contentment woven by Paul is this concern for others. 
that in this humility he is still so concerned. Those that only live for themselves will never be content because contentment for them can only come in circumstances. But a content people are a humble people. We look back to verse 16 during his ministry in Thessalonica. They sent a gift more than once. Their generosity, along with Paul's own hard work, allowed him to minister free of charge in that place. Paul could rejoice over that gift. Paul could think, you'd answer, I'm set, this is what I need. But he's so content in God's sovereign provision because he was so selfless. And that selflessness led him to write, verse 17, not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. Thank you. Put me to the side. Bless you. I love it. I love it that it's like, that, he's not denying the facts. He's saying thank you. But he's saying, do you know what? I don't need this. This isn't what I'm after. But what I want is I want to see you blessed. What humility. What humility of a man that puts other first. Their gift brought Paul joy. Not because of its personal material benefit but because of the spiritual benefit to them. Throughout the scriptures, we consistently see this principle that those who give generously will be blessed. And he was more concerned with that than he was in what he received. There's an interesting contrast in verses 18 and 19. Paraphrase that reads something like this. You met my need, and God is going to meet your need. You met one need that I have, but God will meet all of your needs. You gave out of your poverty, but God will supply all your needs out of the riches in glory. What a contrast there is in here. God has not promised to supply our greeds, but he has promised to supply our needs. When we as the children of God are in the will of God, living to the glory of God, everything that we have is met. Everything that we need is met. It is Christ who brings contentment. And it is only in Christ that we will find it. Contentment transcends all circumstances. And it leads us to be a generous and humble people. I just want to take one moment to read these words. And I'm, I'm led to the words of the evangelical Sri Lankan pastor of the church that was bombed. He was speaking in London this week. Pastor Rashan said this. We are hurt. We are angry also. But still, as the senior pastor of Zion Church, the whole congregation and every family affected, we say to the suicide bomber and also to the group that sent the suicide bomber that we love you and we forgive you. No matter what you have done to us, we love you because we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. We also, who follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we say, for the Lord forgive these people. There is a community that is content in Christ. Because only a community that's identity is rooted in Christ can come out and say those things. We're not looking at months, we're not looking at years after, but days later. They stand up and they say, Jesus loves us, therefore we're going to love you. What are the areas of our lives that we need to surrender to God so that we may know his contentment? 
Where do we feel the need to be self-sufficient and self-dependent? Because if we want to be a people that are truly striving after the heart of Christ, we must ditch our self-dependency. And we must rely more and more every day on Jesus Christ. Our God is bigger than any circumstance we will ever face. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we know that everything we could ever need is found in you. It's easy to declare, but so hard to live out in our lives. Lord, would you forgive us for when we find contentment in ourselves, when we find contentment in our stuff? Lord, would you lead us to find our contentment in you? Would you lead us to be able to say that no matter what tomorrow brings, whether it be the events that we see from the Sri Lankan pastor in the statement he made, Lord, whatever tomorrow may face, may we stand and say, Jesus Christ is good. Our Lord God is sovereign and our Lord God is the one who satisfies and brings contentment. Our Lord and our God, we thank you. We so don't deserve you. We so don't deserve your contentment, your joy, the peace and the hope that you give us. But God, we thank you. Amen.